Thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will Podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison or The Power of Flashback was one episode which explored the endings of The Godfather Part 2 Sleepers, and that was then, this is now. With the all-access patron membership, you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the Chills at Will podcast logo and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news. You will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020, and it has been an absolute pleasure, 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what, Matt Bell, Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman? Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talti, Sadie Shore Parks, Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Raina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Jose Antonio Vargas, Laura Worrell, so, so, so many cool people. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there.
Welcome to episode 174 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Allegra Hyde. Allegra Hyde is the author of Eleutheria, which was named a best book of 2022 by The New Yorker. She's also the author of the story collection of This New World, which won the John Simmons Short Fiction Award. Her second story collection, The Last Catastrophe, is out in the world as of today, March 28th, published by Vintage. A recipient of three Pushcart Prizes, her writing has also been anthologized in Best American Travel Writing, Best of the Net, and Best Small Fictions. Her stories, essays, and humor pieces have appeared in The New Yorker, American Short Fiction, Bomb, and many other venues. Hyde has received fellowships and grants from the Breadloaf Writers Conference, the Sewanee Writers Conference, the Elizabeth George Foundation, the Lucas Artist Residency Program, the Gentle Foundation, the U.S. Fulbright Commission, and elsewhere. She currently teaches at Oberlin College. Pleasure talking to Allegra, and I really appreciate her taking the time, especially the day before the big pub day. The book is so good. 15 short stories on their own. They're great individually. Together, the sum is more than the parts. Congratulations to Allegra. What a great book. Chris, what do you think? Two thumbs up? Two thumbs up. Audrey, what do you think? Two thumbs up? Two thumbs up. Yeah, so I just want to ask what it's like with your book going out into the world. Well, it's a it's a real mix of emotions. On one hand, I'm feeling super excited, looking forward to um, setting this book free. I'm also uh, pretty nervous. You know, you you worry about whether people will like the book or not. Um, and then I also feel um, uh, a little bit of grief as well, which might seem kind of strange, but I would. Um, I, I think it comes from just kind of letting a letting a, a project go that you've been really invested in and um, that you really care about and is in a way is just no longer yours. Well, so I we learned some interesting information before we start recording here is that, you know, I, I'm pretty proud of my pun. My pun is some of the effect of like, I really feel like this book is going to have a long shelf life because, you know, it's it, it, it speaks to so much about what's going on today and the future and you know hopefully in, in many ways we don't reach some of those things but you know if, if if a prophet is somebody who write who talks or writes about what's happening now we you're definitely a prophet because you've nailed so many things so many issues that are going on today but hopefully you're not a psychic right yeah you know, I, about, about a psychic you maybe have some history with that or something yeah I, <laughs> um i did have a an alter ego as a, a fortune teller for a little while um my first name backwards is Argella. So I was Allegra or Argella, the um, fortune teller. Uh, and um, so that was uh, a, a short-lived identity. <laughs> Allegra, obviously there's something there in Latin and Italian about, about happiness, right? Mm-hmm. Does Argella have a meaning or is that just, just your name? Not that I, that, not that I know of, um, but it's, uh, yeah, Allegra um, comes from Allegro, musical term fast okay. and happy yeah. um but i i i have to say I, i'm not much of a, a musician okay <laughs> <laughs> you know being that you know you are a college professor you are such a, an, an esteemed writer i just wonder about some of the beginnings like your relationship with the written word um you know were books all around the house you know who and, and what were you reading in, in into adolescence Sure. So I was really lucky in that my um, mother was a librarian. And so I had um, incredible access to books and was um, exposed to books constantly, was read to a lot. And um, I'm sure that has made a a big difference in kind of my trajectory as ultimately as a writer. Uh, Some early books that I really loved included um, The Chronicles of Narnia. All right. Um, that was a, a real foundational text for me. And to the point that I owned um, uh, audio tapes of the, all the Chronicles of Narnia and mm-hmm. would listen to them over and over and over again um, and could kind of just recite them. And I, I, I continue to be a big audiobook person. And it's, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a real kind of important part of my reading practice. Yeah. 
I think other books that I was really into included myths, fairy tales, folklore, urban legend. I just gobbled uh, anthologies of those stories up and was really um, uh, just really enthralled by them. Mm -hmm. Is there any sort of like, um, you know, amateur psychology or, or, you know, to be had here? I mean, was there like, was there a lot about like escaping to different worlds and, and, or was it just like, oh, cool, this is so, you know, this is so cool, you know, end, end of subject. Or was there something there about escaping or hiding or just finding like some sort of community? I don't know. I think that I think you could you could do some psychoanalysis in that <laughs> way. Uh, at one point, my uh, my family moved from rural New Hampshire to um, London for uh, a year. And so I went from being in a really remote rural place and then suddenly being in this bustling city and it was really overwhelming and I think one of the ways I coped as a child was by um by by listening to audiobooks by reading and I think even to this day um disappearing into a book into a story is kind of just a way to cope with reality yes that's for sure so we're not talking like London or New, New London and New Britain, like Connecticut. We're talking like England, like London. Yeah, England. London, England. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> That's a heck of a change. Man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had an accent for a little while. <laughs> Can you bring it back? Does it come back ever? I, a, couple I drinks, a couple of drinks, maybe? Not yet. We'd have to, <laughs> we'd have to be off, off book. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I mean, you are an incredible world builder. I mean, in, in this collection, there's you, so many worlds within worlds and you know I, I think of the story with uh tell me the initials again the h b h e c b oh h h back h b uh e c yeah. right i mean just so many just store uh stories and histories and, and world building you know i think of like matt bell something one of the many people who's so great at world building and you know you talk about how you were into myth and stuff like that do you feel like that's a type? Do you do you see world building as more of like on the creative side, like artistically, or more like on the science science side, like pre precision? Does that make sense? I I think it's probably a little a little bit of everything, and one of the reasons why I really enjoy doing it is that it it stretches my brain and it allows me to pull from so many different bodies of knowledge and gives me an excuse to do research yeah. and to. Um, uh and be really inventive so for a story like the the story you just mentioned um which was colonel meriwether's intergalactic uh finishing school for young ladies and and girls I, it's like Thank a super long title yes, um, it <laughs> yeah it's it's set on a, a spaceship and in the in the nearest future and mm -hmm. there's this weird society of of rich people right and so um it's a, a chance to visualize um, a, a specific microculture. It's a mm -hmm. chance to think about how are they, what are they eating? Um, what are they, uh, like, how does the, the class system work mm -hmm. here? How do, how do the economics work? And um, to answer all these different questions, I get to um, invent and I get to, you know, um, uh, like I said, pull from different fields. And I, that, that to me is just such a pleasure. So you said you it gives you an excuse to do research. So you so research is fun for the most part. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, I I think that as a writer, I feel so privileged to get to to have a reason to go down uh, weird rabbit holes of sure. like, you know, boots from the nineteenth century. Uh, did they have heels? And um, mm -hmm. I love the the process of discovery. Maybe this has to do again with having a librarian for a mother. Mm-hmm. I, I've said it many times. I don't know that there's any that there are any 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 job where people love their job as much as librarians. Mm. I I remember the days of Dewey Decimal Systems and so excited to show you the seven hundreds or whatever for social studies and three hundreds and just you know such a love for it. And I'm it's so it's so awesome that you had that your mom as a librarian because you know I think of just beautiful times right with with the li with the librarians. I mean how much are they just so cheesy but just you know gave us such a world of of exploration and discovery and such um a space yeah right? they librarians are really at the forefront of um so much and i you know i think about the the book bans that are happening now and i think about the ways um 
certain political groups are targeting librarians and mm. and teachers who are kind of have little libraries and um i think that that reflects how powerful uh, libraries and librarians are and how much of an impact they have on um uh creating better futures no doubt about it who are you reading these days whether it's within you know i I'd love, I don't know if you could even nail down your genre, right? I mean, you write so, so widely and creatively, but who are you reading, whether it's like, you know, for inspiration for your own work or just like puts together a darn good story? Yeah, I, I try to read really widely and to read books that are, that are just coming out and then, and then classics. And then I like to really read across genre because like you said, I tend to right across genre. Mm -hmm. um, I just read this book called Sleepwalk by Dan Sean, okay. um, who I'm actually going to do an event with in Cleveland soon. And nice. it was this really um, gripping uh, near future vision of America with this um, henchman character who mm. has a, a moment of epiphany and it sends him on a an incredible road trip and it, uh, it 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 if you want to read some really interesting world building i think that's a a great uh a great novel to check out i've heard great things thank you for that recommendation the, the last name is spelled c-h-a-o-n yeah yeah um, and then i'm also i'm i'm doing a a new novel on that involves thornton wilder actually so i've been reading okay. um a lot of his works uh, oh, and so it's been, uh, I just read um, The Bridge of San Luis Rey, which is a classic, gets mm. taught in a lot of high schools. And I think it, I think it really holds up. Wow. Quite a compliment, man. <laughs> in uh, one of the many blurbs um, from some greats, Alexander Kleeman writes that, you know, that the last catastrophe is, da is dazzling and inventive. And, um, you know, there's more to it, but that's, that's right on. It is dazzling. There's, you know, think of the story with the long title about the finishing school, the one we referenced in the near future in space. And the ending is so emotionally, you know, pulls at you emotionally. But there's also just, you're just, as a reader, just dazzled, like, dang, like, with, with mainly two characters in that story, right? I mean, some of the other ones are side characters, but with mainly the two characters and just to be able to pull that much emotion at the end, you're just like, whoa, like that's, that's yeah. a really talented writer. That story is is written in the form of an audio transcript, right. um, and uh, it's between two characters. And I like giving myself um, little challenges sometimes, such mm. as um, writing within a specific form. And you know, in this case, I I decided I wanted to write in the form of an an audio transcript to to talk about a finishing school day to um explore this kind of retro futurism right. um uh within within that that form and it was a uh, it, it was really challenging to to mm. figure out how to unlock the emotion at the end of the piece but i'm you know i'm thrilled to hear that it uh it it worked well a lot of that is the the alternating between the silences and like the fury, the frenzy talking, right? Like, you, you know, mm -hmm. asking the questions, there's about that, 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 that playoff, the playing off of each other, that silence and that frenzy. Did you just make up a word there with, uh, you said retro futurism. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm guessing someone else has used that at some point, but it's, it's something that I, I definitely tried to bring to this collection because even though the collections very much looking um, towards the future. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the stories are 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 bringing um, patterns of the past into the future. No doubt. And so something like um, uh, Democracy in America, which is a reimagining Alexis de Tocqueville um, yeah. in a, a near future America, was a a way to show how um, uh, certain um, aspects of the past, like a kind of Jacksonian um, exploitative uh, mm -hmm. presidential reign, let's say, um, could be um, could be manifested in our, our near future, unless we kind of choose to um, commit to a different trajectory. And mm -hmm. so um, that's, uh, that would be one example of a retro futurism at play. Oh, that makes a lot of sense.
know, the, the stories on their own, I mean, there are some absolute standouts. There's out of 15, there are 15 standouts. They can, you know, <laughs> can serve on their own. Some are very short. Um, some are two or three pages. I want to say the last one is 40, 50, right? The Eaters. It's, it's pretty long. It's, yeah. It might be like 60 or something. It's it might You might call it a novella. Exactly, right? So I just wonder, like, you know, even with so many good individual stories, the the sum is is more than the parts. It's such a, an alchemy of just like a great, great collection. I wonder about any through lines you feel like, or I guess like, were you was was through lines a first priority, or was it more like writing good stories and the through lines were kind of byproducts of that? There's definitely a, a through line in my mind for these stories, and um, the way I would I would characterize that uh, that through line is um, kind of through the lens of something called global weirding. Have you heard of that? I have, but please okay. explain because I mostly awesome. heard, about it. I heard about it through you. Sure, yeah, <laughs> I heard about it through you and um, so... stuff about your work. So that's the first time I heard about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I'll share it. I'll share it please. again. Um, global weirding is another way of kind of con conceiving of um, global warming, um, and it's a a it's a, a less politicized. Um, way of thinking about it but it's it's also i think just a more accurate way because climate change isn't just about temperatures getting warmer right. it's about um, sometimes temperatures are colder sometimes mm -hmm. storms are more extreme sometimes migration patterns of animals are shifting or plants are blossoming at the wrong time or right. weird spores from the arctic are like mm -hmm. unthawing and it's global weirding is about um how climate change is just making everything all the natural systems in our world kind of go out of whack mm -hmm. and alongside them all of our i think human systems social systems are are kind of going out of whack too and the collection um is trying to embody literally and figuratively mm. that that weirding that's happening and and it's you know it sometimes it might seem kind of silly uh, you know a girl's growing a unicorn horn for instance in one story but um the the kind of underlying issue that i'm trying to show is is very real and and serious global weirding i like that and that that does make a lot of sense like you said climate change doesn't quite encapsulate everything that's going on or uh global warming i think is right kind of yeah right exactly excuse me right but global weirding does yeah the um the first line of the first story the first story is called mobilization and it's quote we were multitudes we were millions also, toward, in the last story, towards the end, the professor says that line, so evocative, but I wonder maybe if that was the beginning for you of like this collection, if that, what that line meant, or if that was something you kind of added later. We, are, we were multitudes, we were millions, kind of what that means in a larger sense. Yeah, the, I, I did write that first story, Mobilization, before I wrote The Eaters, um, and um, I think as I was going through revisions and and deepening what the professor in the eaters is is saying about mm. um, as she's reflecting on society and where it went wrong, um, uh, that that line emerged and it it felt like a way to connect the beginning and the end of the book and it mm. also felt like a way to speak to the collective consciousness that is a big part of the collection. As you may have noticed, there's a lot of stories that are told in first person plural. Yep. Um, and I think I'm, there's also generally just a lot of stories that really emphasize groups. And um, we have plenty of individual characters as well, but it it felt really important in this book to try to show how, you know, just as we're individual specific people, we're also we're also part of um we're part of collectives, we're part of communities, we're part of groups, and um, we make group decisions, and uh, that's that's what it, part of what it means to be human. Hmm. Um, and so that line is trying to capture that. Definitely. And so, you know, that first story you talk about, you know, group, group you know, collectivity. And, you know, so there's uh, in, in, mass, in mass, they go out in RVs and they're, you know, I don't know if you did it on purpose, too, but the idea of like the we and the first person plural, there are not a lot of names, especially given in that story, if any. Right. It's yeah, just, I don't think there's any names. It's just yeah. the collective of this herd of RVs that are exactly. they're roaming around the country, 
living their lives um, without a care until, mm. of course, uh, disaster, as it does, <laughs> strikes. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's, it's described as like a diverse group of people. You know, some are kind of like the, the classic weirdos and maybe who are in the RVs already. And I mean that with love. You know, some are... <laughs> Our families, you know, some are teenagers, some are, you know, people looking to get away, some are people looking to drive towards something. And it's everything is ephemeral. And, you know, they, they shoplift and they, you know, it's kind of, I've seen a kind of thing of like what they say about uh, millennials that like they collect experiences, not things. Right. Mm. I mean, as a millennial, I think I do both. (laughs) Okay. Right. And, you know, quote unquote, keep the engines running, which you can you know, see in more than one way, literal and figurative, you know, kind of do what you have to do. It seems to me like because of the way that this group is, you know, traversing the country in these RVs, they can they can afford to be politically uninvolved at the time. I wonder if you were going for something there, if I'm maybe reading too much into that, but just like, you know, they don't there's something about privilege, right, where somebody doesn't necessarily have to be politically engaged. And for them, yeah. I wonder about kind of what you're going with, with the way that they were just boom, 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 moving throughout. You know, if, if something happened politically, they didn't really have time to notice it, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that the story can be read in in multiple ways. One is that it's a story about a, a specific group of, of RVs that um, believe that they'll never kind of have to... Uh, see any consequences to their actions or uh, wonder or, you know, um, yeah, deal with any challenges. Or you can read the story as an allegory, maybe for the American people in a kind of generalized sense. And the fact that um, I think overall, so many of us just don't want to look at um, uh, crises and at the the tough um the tough choices mm-hmm. that really need to be made around um moving to more a more sustainable economy more sustainable energy system right. um really looking at wealth inequality um i think we just don't most of us don't want to face all that myself included oftentimes i'm not saying yeah. that i'm like you know an <laughs> an angel um but uh i so that's what that story is is trying to show in a kind of sideways way. Yeah. And, you know, and, and feel free if you're just like, hey, I want to let the story live on its own. You know, we, we don't need to psychoanalyze or overanalyze them. <laughs> I'm thinking of, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times the funniest things or the best humor has got a seed of truth and it kind of makes you, after you laugh, go, dang. Mark Marin, you know, the comedian, he, some of the effect of like, you know, and I, I was all in the delivery and I'm not, I'm not going to get the delivery right. But he was just kind of like, you know, hey, we, we really tried really hard with, you know, with climate change and such. And, you know, we, we, we didn't use reusable bags and well, it didn't work, you know, that kind of thing, just like kind of like <laughs> the half, the half-assed effort that was made. And like you said, I'm, I'm putting myself in that category too, where it's just like a lot of times it's easier, just not really, ah, I gave it an effort. Right. Well, the thing is, I think that. we've also been kind of conditioned to think that we, we have to solve it as, as individuals again. And then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, like I, I can get reusable bags, but like, what else am I supposed to do? Like yeah. I, I, and, um, and that's, that's totally fair because mm-hmm. actually to, um, mitigate the worst effects of, uh, climate change, we need structural changes to our infrastructure. Sure. We need actual regulation on our energy systems. And that, mm-hmm. that's not a, a problem for the individuals. That's a, that's, that's a government um a government issue there and so um i think that 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 sense of kind of helplessness and and even apathy is understandable mm. i think it was in the eaters right where i'm almost positive it was where grass became a huge uh food source yeah <laughs> right and i and i was just thinking of like you were talking about like all the all the golf courses that were out there getting water and how much money was spent on that i just i just think about you know like water issues and drought um, which I'm in California here and all, we've had a, you talk about um, global weird weirdness, like we've had a crazy amount of rain and our drought is kind of over or temper, you know, we don't get that rain, but just like the idea of like individuals and yes, I can work on, you know, not wasting my water, but like these huge farms and these huge industries that are, you know, or celebrities that, you know, use enough for five towns. Right. And that's that part of the whole kind of collective that you're talking about where, it's got to be more than just the one. Yeah, the, absolutely. One of the lines that um, goes to what we're just speaking about from the book is the tough part is feeling happy and sad at the same time. 
technology and you know just part of being human is seeing the future as i think is seeing uh, as having an optimism for the future especially young people and but there's also the sadness of like what you know what are we leaving to the next generation the next generation um i believe the story is called the tough part and without giving away the ending that's the one i believe right about where the the family dress up like like moose mooses yeah it's a pretty um in some ways, a, a silly premise. There is a mother and father who dress up as a moose in an effort to save the five remaining moose in the world. They're going to kind of try to gather the other moose by pretending to be a moose and take them to a safe place. And um, I think a great it turns out to be very challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally foolproof. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, it's a, you know, that quote I think is, is really central to my thinking about um, the future, and I'm glad you brought that up. I think facing the future um, in a way where we're both um, keeping some optimism and keeping some sense of possibility and hope, yes. you know, in our in our hearts and minds, um, alongside a sense of grief and a sense of anger and a sense of um, frustration is, it's hard to hold both of those things at once. Yes, but I think it as I think it's really important to hold them both because to kind of go in only one direction um, just kind of leads to either a sort of um, a denial of how how bad things really are or just a sort of nihilism that leads mm. to not taking any action. I, I appreciated how the uh, the guy in the story, the husband was former DJ and she's it, while they're in the moose suit, she's like tapping out some of his old beats, and he goes <laughs> to being like, I think he goes to literally being a real estate uh, uh, agent, right? Yeah, feeding from the poisonous hand of capitalism. Woo! Uh, well, that's a great, line. <laughs> that's a great line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Going from you know DJ and creative and making people happy through art to you know literally selling, buying and selling land. Right? There's a, there's a lot there, <laughs> man. The story uh, Zoo Suicides. I mean, what a what a title is after how do you pronounce is it donald barth barthelme donald barthelme barthelme and dana dana deal i wonder and there's a there's so many great lines from that story but it's um one of the lines is quote wasn't it true that any animal could kill under the right circumstances and without giving too much away i mean people are committing suicide through animals and you know some of the usual ways you might think are some of the usual animals but it's also like like you say here any animal could kill under the right circumstances. I think there's a lot there about how we we tend to domesticate so many animals. But my long-winded question is, how so was that story after those two great writers? Sure, and I, you know, it's it's a it's kind of a weird, awkward story to talk about because okay. I think it's a it's a a story that um, I think if it's talked about in the wrong way, it could seem like it's um, making light of suicide in a sense and. It's, uh, that's that not, all, but... all right. That's not the intention of the story, uh, just as a kind of side note, no, um, I but that. in the way that, um, it's, um, kind of taking after those writers, um, one of my favorite stories is, uh, the school okay. by Donald Barthelme. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate how he uses this kind of escalating absurdity to mm -hmm. make, um, a really profound, um, point about the, the meaning of life and mm. um so i i kind of was inspired by that and i think the story kind of emulates that ex, es, uh, escalation um and then dana deal uh is actually someone i did my mfa with and um this uh this story also emerged from kind of conversations with her mm. so i wanted to give credit where credit was due oh so cool I think the I think the school is literally the only story of his that I've read, so I I want to go back and revisit that. But I definitely remember, like you said, the absurdity of it, but mm -hmm. it, it didn't take away from the profundity of it for sure. I mean, a lot of the reviews of the book have talked about the dark humor, and I think that's probably a necessary thing for the some of the subject matter. Um, there's a story after Glow. Um, you have this woman who is she's she's a drama teacher, 
maybe by kind of um, by necessity, but right off the bat in, in kind of drowning out her sorrow, she doesn't drink, you know, gin. She doesn't drink beer. She drinks Gatorade. PM or R, you know, in the circle, like the trademark of the copyright. I thought that was pretty good stuff. Um, <laughs> and she drinks it and she drinks it and she drinks it. And her dad tells her like, Hey, like you need to like eat food. <laughs> um, what the afterglow is that she literally, you know, in drinking these different flavors of Gatorade, you know, she literally like parts of her face and such will turn those colors. And it really is in some ways an absurd story. I, I got the impression that just out in the West Coast, I think of it like a Catalina Island. I don't know if you ever heard of Catalina Island. Oh, yeah. But, right. But like, but anyway, some sort of island place, Cape Cod or something like that. And she's kind of toiling in obscurity a little bit. But I was laughing out loud at some of the emails and some of the passive aggressive things from like her boss was <laughs> like, you know, you're some of the effect of like, you know, your salary is in direct correlation to the amount of work you do, you know. So put on this good play. What what is the the dark humor and the title afterglow? How does that kind of uh, elucidate your your bigger points maybe about I don't know about grief? That one's not ostensibly about climate change necessarily global weirdness, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, uh, I think it actually in my mind it is. Sorry, um, sorry, the quick question I guess would be then like what what were you going for in making the the Gatorade like a like a physical manifestation? Or her, you know, on her face and her body. Sure. I think um, this is a story where I'm trying to both talk about a, a really specific um, individual issue and then also touch on a, a, a larger issue at the same time, maybe in an unexpected way. Sure. Um, and uh, so on one hand, um, this woman is coping with her grief by consuming all of this Gatorade and it's it's kind of transforming her body in a way and these chemicals are showing up as colors under her skin mm. um and then um as a kind of backdrop to that we also have this mention of how sunsets become more vibrant when there's okay. more pollution in them and um this kind of toxic presence and I was trying to create a, a parallel between how uh, something like a, a sunset um, that's full of pollution can be so, so beautiful and so mm. gorgeous and also kind of really horrific at the mm. same time because it's it's full of chemicals. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to create a parallel between that and then this woman's experience where she's kind of becoming this miraculous um, right. entity by virtue of consuming all these chemicals. And she's doing it because she's upset about the end of her marriage and this kind of um, uh, toxicity in that sense. And mm -hmm. so the story is trying to create a, a parallel between those two subjects. And I think the humor is sort of what maybe greases the wheels yes. for me in terms of bringing, creating the connection and, and finding a way to um, access these, these heavy topics in a, in a way that is, um, is manageable. Thank you for that explanation. Sorry, remind me of the, the name of the story again, the one with uh, the to the is based on de Tocqueville. Democracy in America. Democracy in America, right? That's the name of his, of his speech, I guess, right? Or if it, maybe a pamphlet or something. Uh, his, his book. His book. Uh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> so we have Honey is the the girl in that story, the young woman. And so, sorry, remind me of the, the guy's name, the narrator. The narrator's gender is actually not specified. Right. And, and described as androgynous, right? Yeah, it's been kind of interesting for me to see what what gender people bring to that mm -hmm. character, mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it mysterious. But I, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. To talk about like possible homophobia, but very heteronormative to think of of the person as a male. Okay, I appreciate that. I wonder more so about like. We don't even know where the narrator's from exactly. You know, it talks about the accent was was likable by Americans, is doing research in the States, you know, similar to de Tocqueville, kind of like, uh, like a chronicler. Um, but I guess it doesn't really necessarily matter where the person's from. But is there something about being an outsider? I mean, I know you lived in London. I'm not sure for how long. Is there something Just about being an, outside, okay, being an outsider or something that's uniquely American about global weirdness and just about our consumption culture, I guess. Well, the real Alexis de Tocqueville was French and wrote this really famous book about American society. 
and that continues to get quoted constantly by mm. polit politicians in all parties, which is kind right. of interesting. <laughs> and I think that Tocqueville, uh, de Tocqueville what, did have this particular perspective on what was going on um, uh, that was unique to him being an outsider and, mm -hmm. and him um, just having a different uh, vantage point. And so I was trying to create a, an echo of that in the story where this um, near future Alexis is kind of going around the country and has this idea to write a book and is bringing an outsider's um, perspective upon society. Mm -hmm. The kind of like the, the pivotal um, plot point in that story is Honey is going to go for an action called for a process called, uh, I guess, a procedure called consignment. And I don't know how much mm -hmm. you want to say about that, if anything. Yeah, I think pretty important to the story. Right. Um, in this near future vision of um, America, there's the possibility for people to um, sell their exterior body. Um, and so just their kind of physical looks to um, someone wealthier than them who might want a, a kind of younger body. Um, and it doesn't, it's, it's purely aesthetic. It doesn't, right. um, affect, um, Life it doesn't have any health benefits. Mm -hmm. It's just about kind of vanity. And so it's a way for cash strapped, um, hmm. uh, young people to, um, make some money. And it was, a um, this kind of speculative, um, body switching, um, was a way to think about wealth and equality and opportunity and access, mm. um, which are issues now and our odds are good. They're going to be more and more of a, a problem and in going into the future. And so right. um, this is something that my Alexis is uh, uh, observing in the story. So there's so much in the the whole the collection as a whole about commodification of, I mean, of, in this case of literal bodies, you know, socioeconomic class. These are people on the poorer end of the spectrum, you know, who are often selling their bodies like Honey and her sisters, you know, we assume Honey did, but we don't know for sure. They sold, they went through a consignment because, you know, they wanted to pay off this bill, pay off that bill. The last story, you know, with the eaters, those who had the money were the ones who went in the spaceship. Those who, you know, had the money were able to do this and do that. I wonder what you're kind of trying to say about, about commodification and about social class you don't you don't paint the rich necessarily as evil i mean there's even a part in the in the finishing school piece where it's like a defense of the rich kind of but i just wonder about like i guess commodification of of bodies and of products and how that is related to global weirdness yeah i think that when it comes to looking at the at the climate climate crisis at um at uh at global weirding there's um a, a complicated kind of matrix of structural issues that have kind of that have created the created the problem and mm. one of those issues is greed i think it's just forces of oppression colonialism and as i've been saying wealth inequality um are are part of the systems that kind of undergird um the crisis and so the my stories in different ways are um, trying to extrapolate those issues and and explore them, and I think um, I'm I'm hoping that they show um, why it's it's just so important that we um, think about how we can reinvent our our economic structures, how we can mm -hmm. think about our our overall value systems, whether we want one single person to have, you know a hundred billion dollars or whether we should um as a society just simply not allow that hmm. well yeah i mean like we talked about the first story is called mobilization and it's, um, i'm saying something pretty obvious but it's like you know obviously the more and more we just talk about making changes and not doing things and you know it gets more dire right and it's just about you know can we can we outrun can we outrun uh global weirdness like the people in the rvs can we continue to plead ignorance or we can you know really step up Encroaching technology for sure is a theme. The algorithm is such a great story on its own. And it's, you know, we hear a lot about the algorithm with, you know, YouTube and Twitter and and all the things that get views and likes and all of that. Um, th the first line or so is basically that the algorithm even knew the timing of our periods, right? <laughs> it knew things about whether people were going to, we're going to have kids, um, you know, when they needed sleeping pills, 
um, all those things. And it would just show up. And I'm definitely thinking of Amazon Prime and that kind of stuff, right? Just seeing those trucks all the time. Um, it's even used to arrest Inez, who is kind of a, and a Luddite would not be the term, but she doesn't go in for the algorithm. She doesn't go into buying these things, right? But it's, you know, there's so much there about the cycle we get ourselves into where we keep paying, we can't pay enough, we're in debt, and just all of the, the grief that comes with that as well. There's a great line that is, quote, the algorithm never sent more than we could handle. Is there a pretty clear connection to like a godlike figure that we're, you know, that yeah. you know, people say that about God, right? I think that the characters in that story, which is called The Future is a Click Away, um, really uh, start to think of the the algorithm as a god that can you know, read their minds and knows what's best for them. And I think that that, um, that attitude is, is not um, uncommon necessarily in our real world. I think about the way people talk about AI all the time as if it is almost mythical and its abilities and possibilities. And I think, I think we give it too much credit. It's these, uh, these computer systems are, are made by people and um, they reflect um, people's agendas and biases and um, limitations ultimately. And I, I think it's important to not give all of our agency over to algorithms. We have to, you know, Keep that agency for ourselves and mm-hmm. and trust our own instincts and and needs and and also I think that story is all about not giving into this kind of cult of convenience mm. because um that might seem utopic in certain moments when right. you know a, an algorithm knows ahead of time whether you need sponges and sends them to you but <laughs> you're 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 giving up agency there and that has long-term costs. No doubt. Yeah, that story is so skillfully done. And yeah, I was just so struck by that line that I mentioned just about, you know, God, God never sends us more than we can handle. <laughs> just, you know, it's it. Yes, it's hyperbole, but it's also right on. Right. It just seems like in this world we're in, it's it's hard to do. It's, you know, what is it? Truth is stranger than fiction. Right. Totally. And the story is called Cougar. And you're know, talking about like encroaching technology. These this is these are people who suffer from digital disorders. They're at the center, capital C, right? And you know, they're they're body modifiers. They have, you know, titles like some are body modifiers, those people who, you know, I guess kind of like Instagram model type of thing. I mean, people have different disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh I think it's yeah, as you said, some of the people modify their body to match what they're seeing yeah. on the internet. And that is um, not not unknown either. So all of those digital disorders are um, either they're real, they exist, or they're kind of slightly exaggerated and extrapolated. Right. Um, Very cleverly placed in the Santa Cruz mountains right outside the Silicon Valley, right? But I mean, you know, they're, they're, I mean, phones and all electronics are taken away. And the narrator is, you know, is in rehab, like a drug rehab or alcohol rehab. And it's oversimplifying a bit, I think, to say that she wanted attention, but she really started, she started to get into the world of fraud and it all started through like a next door type of app, right? (laughs) Are you, um, I don't know if you're poking any fun in in next door. I don't know if you're a next door um, devotee or. (laughs) I mean, so many things in my stories are. Um, the products of me synthesizing different things I've experienced. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've spent some time on Nextdoor and which is both fascinating and disturbing sometimes. Okay. And I actually spent a bunch of time in uh, the Santa Cruz mountains at a, a writing residency. Oh, yeah. and so that setting is kind of being merged with just other, um, mm. uh, other experiences. While I was there, there were a lot of warnings about mountain lions. So uh-huh. it's kind of, I was weaving that in and um, that's, that's how I approach a lot of my fiction um, really taking, you know, personal experience research and then imagination to try to uh, create a, a new world. That's also eerily familiar. Oh, exactly. Eerily familiar. You know, the, the title is very clever. Hey, Hey, you know, the, you know, cougar, you know, she's, (laughs) she's an older woman, older, not that old, but she's maybe mid forties and, most of the others are in their 20s. You know, again, it's oversimplifying to say that she wanted attention, but she went into the next door and started kind of like getting the sympathy, the kind of the classic suburban wife in many ways, suburban person who just nothing was ostensibly wrong, 
but just kind of got addicted to to FOMO. I, I kind of like or like you know the idea of FOMO and just wanting attention. A lot, a lot too about about art and about creativity and about you know things like algorithms taking that away. There's a story called Endangered where there are literally artists in cages. I wonder what kind of statement that is there. Do you, um, are we talking about art being muzzled? Are we talking about <laughs> um, artists themselves kind of phasing themselves out? Kind of what are you going with that? And, and about, I guess also about people watching, those people watching from outside the cages. Yeah. So that story endangered, on one hand, it is about the the precarity of pursuing an artistic career. I think mm. that's a very real thing. Mm. Um, but it's also another story that's trying to talk about um, global weirding in an unexpected way by merging this concept that we usually apply to animals, um, endangerment, extinction, yeah, yeah. and applying that to a, a group of human beings. And uh, in the story, these artists are they're treated like they're, you know, endangered penguins or uh or other other animals and they're kept in cages in a kind of zoo-like enclosure and my hope is that in a way that story shows how um problematic it is to deal with endangerment and extinction uh through zoos and captivity and to think that that's like any kind of solution because right. um it's it's i think easier for us to empathize in a way with these people in cages we know that we know that that's wrong and sure. i think kind of merging those two concepts i'm hoping that um uh the story illuminates both um the reality of endangered animals and something about the reality of the economic precarity of of being an artist it definitely it definitely landed Like so much of our world, unfortunately, misogyny is a big part of the collection. Chevalier, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the name of the town and the story. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, you know, Eddie, um, Eddie is short for, I'm forgetting, but Eddie, you know, goes out of her way to impress. She has an early dream that she shares with the narrator, her, her friend as a kid. It's just a recurring dream of invisibilia, right? Of just not being seen, like literally being seen in those dreams. And then she ends up, you know, having a horn, <laughs> which comes from this early <laughs> injury, right? And in her small town, she's kind of ignored. I mean, for the most part, she is. But, you know, she does the classic, like, got to get out of the small town, goes to New York, and says that she really is, like, a, an object of fascination. Does, is that why she doesn't, I mean, is that why she doesn't want to leave New York? Is it, is it any attention is good attention? Is it like, hey, notice me, notice me? Or is that kind of a simple reading of the story? I think that in some ways that story is mysterious to me as well mm. um, because so much about it is um, uh, not what you would expect. You would expect the horn at first to cause a sensation yep. and then you would expect it to maybe blend in in the city, um, but the reverse happens. And um, in some ways that maybe that does feel true in the sense that small towns can actually be havens for oddballs as a, you know mm. as someone who lives in a small town i i think i can speak to that mm. and sometimes when you're a small town person in a city you can you can be a kind of oddity in that sense i um, see but i i think what matters more than the um uh eddie being perceived by people in the town or people in the city is whether mm. or not she's perceived by the narrator and mm -hmm. that that relationship and their um their connection is is what's most important to the story and yeah um you know one other thing i will say about that story is that it's it was it's one of the earlier stories i wrote that in maybe okay. 2014 and a lot of the other stories i wrote during the pandemic lockdown actually mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of um it's a it's an earlier one, which meant that I I came back to it with fresh eyes when I was yeah. revising the collection. And one of the things that I realized, especially as I um, looked at that relationship, was that the the narrator was um, was in love with Eddie. And I think mm -hmm. that I I hadn't I hadn't fully I, that 
that attraction seemed so obvious when I when I came back to the the story and and looked at those characters. Um, but it was only kind of through revisit kind of revisiting it as a an older wiser person, and then mm. as just some some years later that I I really felt like I saw that it some of the kind of complication between seeing not seeing had to do with sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the you know, I mean, the story is 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 about invis about being invisible in many ways, and not wanting to be, and yeah, just the the scene is so well done by you with the the, the wedding scene, and just like people not seeing her and what's what's not mentioned and what is, and there's a lot of I guess silences or gaps that are really telling in that in that scene, and that's that's a heck of a story. That's very interesting. Thanks for that explanation. You know, so the the one with the long title, Colonel Merriweather's Intergalactic. I mean, you know. Yeah. This, I mean, like you talk about that retro futurism or right, just this idea of like, you know, a finishing school. I think of like, you know, 1850s London, right? Mm -hmm. um, and Caroline and just about how there's so many rules for the women and they need to have a good nature and be graceful and, you know, to always keep their manners. And basically everything is to make the men feel good. And so we talk about, we already talked about how the, the ending of that story is so emotional, but I just wonder about like... Um, where misogyny or where, you know, I guess views of women came in, whether it's that story or just overall about kind of the expectations that are put on women. Yeah, I think that I consider patriarchy to be a, a kind of another one of those underlying oppressive forces that's that's actually part of climate change and that, that's part mm. of um, global weirding ultimately. And uh, so the stories all, um, or many of the stories kind of are thinking about patriarchy pretty, pretty head on, whether it's the story you just mentioned or something like loving homes for lost and broken men. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. and, <laughs> um, and so I, 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 you know, like I've said before, I think bringing that element of, of retro futurism into the um, into the stories was a way to show how important it is for us to really intentionally think about how we want our our relationships, our our social systems to to be going into the future. Because it it's it's not a given that we're going to keep progressing or um, or growing as a society. We have to no. um, fight for it. Right. There's always that assumption, right? That as, as the years go on, we become more progressive, we become more accepting. And that's, we've seen that not to be true. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you only have to to read the the newspaper to, hmm. um, you know, see headlines about abortion rights among a million other um, kind of terrible uh, legislative things that are happening. And so I, it's, like you said, it's it's not a given at all. True. I keep, I'm sorry to keep coming back to it. Truth is strange as fiction. I mean, to read a textbook in Florida that says that, you know, that doesn't mention that Rosa Parks was was forced to the back because of her skin color. Like, how how do you even? You, I don't know if you've seen some of the those write ups, and it's like, you know, she she was determined. It's like, no, that no, like so retroactive, so retrograde, right? Yeah, and I it's um it's really disturbing and it's really surreal and surreal. It's it's interesting, and uh, oftentimes um, I'll hear that my fiction described as satirical, and mm, um, uh, and I I I kind of chafe against that uh, that descriptor because I think that that creates distance between um, uh, the reality of the stories and the reality of our worlds, and I think mm. our world is oftentimes so. Um, out of control and uh, absurd that sure. it it's more the things that I'm writing are realer than mm. people want to believe. That's for dang sure. Unfortunately, true. You mentioned the story with the the foster. So the woman is a is a foster <laughs> foster wife, basically, right? She's got multiple husbands there, and uh, Mister Holm, who's the mm -hmm. who, yeah, right? I mean, what a, what a character! Just the way you you paint him. And then just that the payoff at the end where it's like, oh, okay. He seems so unreal, but I mean that in a positive way, like so perfect. And then in the end, when you kind of find out a little secret or whatever, it's like, okay, okay. But just the way you describe him as a character <laughs> and then the other men are, you know, just kind of very, um, 
just into their carnal needs, you know, is just so, so interesting. And, and there's so much in conversation with the idea of, you know, foster parents and just that she mm. does that. It's just, you don't need to comment that other than I just want to say what a <laughs> darkly, darkly humorous and, and, and clever and, and creative story. We've talked about a lot of negative things that come up in the, the collection. We've talked about climate, impending climate change. We've talked about, you know, poverty and the, the widening chasm between rich and poor, um, mis continuing misogyny, retrograde in so many different ways. Yet in some, some of your quotes, um, you know, for the book, um, there's, there's a positivity there. There's a, there's an optimism, um, it's described as a hopeful speculative story collection. I wonder where you find the hope. I find the hope in the fact that people do come together in challenging times. And I think that that's been shown kind of again and again after um, weather disasters or um, yeah, other kinds of crises, people, people find one another and they support one another and they, um, and they, they care. And I, I really hold on to that collective possibility. And one of the reasons why I wanted to end the book with that novella, The Eaters, is because that, that novella ends with um, a lot of unknowns. We don't know mm -hmm. if these grass eating zombies are going to um, stampede and do something terrible, but we also, at the same time, see someone taking um, a risk to right. to reach out um, to um, to put put aside fear in the service of love, and I I think that um, for all of our our human flaws, we also have so many human gifts and mm -hmm. um, potential, and so that's that's where I draw that hope. Yeah, well, I just think of um, of the girl who's not as young, maybe I mean, they said her age is maybe like 16 or so, you know, with the stuffed animal yeah. and such, maybe you, you, you think of her as a little bit younger, but yeah, you just think of like the, everyone just yelling, you know, they talk about how like a lot of the, the younger people are kind of toxic and they're screaming and yelling at her, but she, you know, has that stuffed animal. And yeah, that last scene is so, so moving. Like you talk about, I mean, there's a literal touch, right. There's literally touching and um, you know, being with each other. And so we'll, we'll we'll take that and roll with it for sure. Um, like you said, it's it's one thing to be able to keep the the happy and the sad and and kind of keep those both in in concert with each other. This book is not just one thing; it's many things. You could you could you know dive in and just read one story and be entertained and get a laugh and also think. You can read the whole collection and especially in hearing you talk about it, just see those through lines, and you just really see the skill that you have in world building the skill you have in being, you know, a prophet of our times and such a great collection. Again, it's called The Last Catastrophe. Tell us about a book tour coming up. Tell us about any particular bookstores maybe you might want to shout out. I know we can buy it in many places and I'll I'll put those links in the episode notes, but where where should we buy it and um any any tour coming up? Yeah, I'm doing a a grab bag of events over mm. <laughs> um the coming weeks and months depending on when you listen to this podcast are you going in an rv um, or uh, no i, I okay. that would be fun okay. but um <laughs> i'm doing a lot of events around ohio if you if you go to my instagram page you can find okay. a, some, some information there about uh about different events um in terms of uh a bookstore my local bookstore here in oberlin is mine fair ben franklin um, okay. So I I got to give them uh, a shout. They're nice. they're both a bookstore and like a, a general store. Oh, which cool! I love. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and you can order from them. But you know, I, I of course always support your your local indie bookstores. Mm -hmm. Is is the way to go. Awesome, and you you know again coming up with such an incredible collection. It's already gotten so much positive feedback. So maybe you're just like, "Ooh, I'm gonna take a break." But any maybe future projects you want to talk about? Oh, well, I'm I'm really excited to work on my next novel, um, which is going to be multi-genre. I meant mentioned that it involves Thornton Wilder. It also involves caves. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm pretty excited to 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 dive into the research portion of that. I think I'm going to yeah. spend some time in caves. Nice. Well, talking about diving into caves, have you ever been to the cenotes in Mexico? 
southern Mexico. No. One of the coolest things I've ever seen. They're they're caves with water. I don't know how to explain them very well. You'll see bats. You know, they're um they're some of the like not not like the first tier maybe of you know there's like the seven wonders of the world and there's like you know maybe mm-hmm. UNESCO heritage site that type of thing. So if you ever want to get out to the to southern Mexico Cancun area, the cenotes are some incredible caves. But that oh. that sounds really cool. I just want to wish you great luck with the Thornton Wilder book. I want to wish you great luck with your tour. And I hope, I know it's going to be busy as heck, but I hope you get to really enjoy it. I'm going to try it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. so much to Allegra for her generosity of time and spirit. Continue good luck to her with her writing, and I'm so looking forward to continuing to follow her career and her important work. You can now subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will Podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will podcast channel. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. The intro song for the Chills Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 175 with Reagan Petruca. Her poetry chapbook, An Animal I Can't Name, won the 2015 Two of Cups press competition. And her debut poetry collection, Head of a Gorgon, was a finalist in the 2022 American Book Fest Awards Narrative Poetry category. Her work has garnered an Academy of American Poets Prize, among others, and been nominated for the Pushcart Prize and Best of the Net. Also, check out today's other episode, a conversation with Allegra Hyde's pub day twin, Rachel Hang whose novel, The Great Reclamation, is an incredibly resonant saga. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Allegra Hyde, whose work, like The Last Catastrophe, gives you chills at will. Mm-hmm.